All right. Uh, we're going to dive into the scriptures together in just a second. Uh, a moment ago, I was just talking about, and it just kind of spurred this thought in my mind, uh, talking about our church and where we are and inviting people in Easter. And, and the truth is, sometimes when you come in, um, like the, the reality I was on Sunday morning is like, we're a, we're a little startup church, uh, but God has given us a big heart and a big vision. And we live in an incredible place and it's not really a shock that this valley is one of the fastest, place, fastest growing places in the country. Uh, but the people moving into this valley, most of them have never experienced the hope and grace and the life of Jesus. And the ones who have, like they need a community of faith to connect to and to grow with. And so uh, the truth is, is like the big church, you know, big C church, the church overall, uh, we're actually losing ground in this valley. We're not even keeping pace uh, with the population growth. And so uh, there's a lot for us to do. Uh, uh, the late Steve Jobs actually said one time that, that people who are crazy enough to believe they can change the world, that those are usually the ones who end up doing it. And, and I have to tell you, like, I really am crazy enough to believe that we together can change the world, that we can make an impact in this valley and beyond. I believe that God wants us to, our church, to impact thousands of people in this valley. And not, not so that I can be famous or our church can be famous or we can have big crowds, but because there's so many people that need to know that there's a God who loves them and that Jesus came and gave his life for them. I believe that what we're doing matters. I believe it with all, every fiber, every cell in my being, that God has something unique for us to do as a church and that creating a place where every person, regardless of their background or belief or their baggage, like creating that perfect place for imperfect people, it is really, really vital in this place right now. That together we can create a place where people can come together as followers of Jesus, where our unchurched and non-believing neighbors and coworkers and family and friends can actually come and experience God's love. And that together we can become a movement and a force of good in the way that we live and the way that we love people around us in this city of Eagle and in Meridian and Boise and Star and Nampa and Caldwell and Cuna and, and beyond. So if you're here this morning or you're watching uh, online and you are not a Christian, we just want you to know like this is your place, like you belong here, that God is crazy about you. And honestly, uh, most of us are crazy about you as well. Like there might be some of us that are like not too sure about you, but most of us are pretty crazy about you. Uh, and if you are a follower of Je Jesus, I just want you to know, like, we're crazy about you too. Like, you're needed here. Like, you're wanted here. You belong here. This is your place. There's something for you to do, for us to do together, that we can become who God is dreaming for us to be as a church, that you belong here. And so I really, 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 really hope that you'll join me in inviting somebody close to you to join us for Easter, because honestly, it could actually change their life forever. So, okay, enough of that. Now, week three, we're in uh, week three of a series uh, about money and personal finance. And uh, week one, we tried to tackle this really big question on whether or not God can be trusted at all when it comes to our money. And last week, we talked a little bit about how do we make our money serve our story rather than the other way around? Like, how do we manage our resources in a way so they line up with the things that we say are most important to us? So um, I, I love when we get together, you know, we do these sort of informal polls and kind of have little moments of mass confession. But, 
But uh, how many people know someone who's made some stupid decisions with money? Anybody know anybody who's made some stupid decisions? How many, like they just messed things up completely? Anybody know any of those people? Yeah, I know some of those people too. I think we probably all know the same people because none of those people are here. Like, I mean, we just know other people who have done that. Uh, But how many people know a family member who's maybe made some bad financial decisions? Um, okay, Okay, cool. Uh, how many would admit it that, you know, maybe you've, you've like a long time ago, like not, I mean, it wasn't any time recently, but you've maybe made some dumb decisions with money, decisions that led to things kind of being a mess or more stressful than they needed to be. So uh, I definitely have both of my hands up uh, on that, maybe my, my one leg too, um, at, because I, I have made some really dumb decisions with money. Now, admittedly, conversations about money in church, and we've kind of touched on this every week because I, I just want to make sure like we're setting the stage in a way that, that everybody hears, everybody who, who is here is actually can hear the conversation that we're having. So uh, I, I know conversations in church are always a little bit interesting, and I've been a lead pastor for 14 years, and, and, and one of the things that is consistent no matter what is almost week in and week out, uh, people will regularly give me their unsolicited feedback about my message, uh, which is always fun. And so most of the time it's good. You know, it's just sort of the general like, hey, good message, you know, whatever. What'd you like about it? I don't remember. Um, Okay, cool, cool. Uh, So you weren't paying attention. You just were trying to make me feel better. I mean, I'll take it. So, uh, but you know, sometimes people will be able to tell me like how the message affected them or helped them. But in all the messages, all the talks I've ever done in 14 years, you know, like 48 to 52 weeks a year for 14 years, like on all the talks I've ever done about money, nobody has ever, ever told me how the sermon on money that I preached changed their life. Nobody's, nobody's been like, oh, I was so moved when you talked about giving. It just oh, it meant so much to me. It was just so good. I felt the presence of God come on me. No, usually it's the opposite. Normally people want to argue with me. So, so yeah, conversations about money in church can sometimes be a little bit tense. Uh, and they're tense for a couple of reasons, right? First, there's, there's been a lot of funny business in the past with the churches and church organizations and money. And, and if you've ever experienced that or witnessed that or been around that or known somebody who has, like it's terrible, it's wrong. In some, case, in some cases, it's even criminal. Uh, and, and so fair or not, there's this stigma that kind of hangs over all churches that all they care about is money. Uh, but honestly, if you hang around here long enough for any length of time, uh, you will see indeed that that is honestly, it's not us. And we absolutely believe that God has a lot to say in the scriptures about how we relate to money and what we do with it and what it looks like to be generous and all that stuff. But we are definitely not about trying to guilt people or manipulate people into doing anything, including anything to do with what they do with their money. Now, the other reason that it can kind of be a little bit tense to talk about money in church is there's just so much kind of guilt or shame or embarrassment that goes along with having done some dumb things with money or having made a mess of your finances. And especially like if you're right in the thick of trying to straighten out something uh, that's kind of messy. Uh, but the truth is, is it, it's not that unique. You know, it's all of us. Uh, yeah, there's varying degrees of mess that we can be in. Um, but at one time, or another, uh, uh, one time or another, we've all been in the same boat. We all know what it's like to have financial pressure. We all know what it's like to have financial regret. We all know what it's like to spend money on things that we're just like, man, I wish I could have that back. Like, I'd, 
I don't know what I was thinking. But, and, and we all know what it's like to, to kind of live in the constant cycle of paycheck to paycheck to paycheck and the bills are coming and we got to, oh my gosh, are we going to make it? Uh, and, and, you know, when you're living that way, there's constant worry and fear of the next bill or the next unexpected expense or the, or the next situation that you can't figure out, you know, you, how are you going to pay for it? And what are you going to do? And for most of us, a huge reason for us living like that comes down to one thing and it comes down to that, that one thing is debt, like the, the debt that we carry around with us. And so uh, I, I did a little bit of research this week and let me just put it into perspective for you. And that is that eight out of 10 Americans hold some form of debt. 80% of us are in debt in some way. And so even though uh, you guys are above average in uh, intelligence, in the way that you've handled money and the way that you've provided for your families, uh, like just, I mean, just take a look around. Like 80% of us, statistically, we might all, like some of us, we might be, there might be a lower percentage in this room, who knows, but, but there's a good chance that a big chunk of us have some form of debt. So it actually is completely normal. The question is, why are so many of us in debt? And the answer for most of us is not because it's some cat catastrophic situation. Nope. In fact, in that same survey, the people who said that they had, the, of the people who said that they were carrying debt, 85% of them uh, said that they use debt to regularly live beyond their means. And so what that means is that for many of us is that we have lifestyled our way kind of right past any margin, you know, it, you know, blowing right past any sort of breathing room that we could potentially have. And rather than dial back our life a little bit to sort of fit our income, uh, we go, nope, I really got to have that waterbed. I really got to have that, you know, whatever. I don't know. But anybody still have waterbeds? I, I had a waterbed when I was a kid. I don't know why that popped into my head. That was weird. Uh, and so instead of doing that, like we use credit cards or loans to finance a life or a lifestyle that's really beyond our ability to afford it. Like, have you ever gone to Amazon looking for something to need? I have. So last year, I, or actually a couple years ago, I ran across a list of the 50 best-selling and most highest-rated products on Amazon. And I was like, this list is going to be dumb. And then I started looking, and I was like, this list is awesome. I got to have that and that. I didn't even know that existed. That is awesome. And I had no idea until I looked at this list how many of the things on that list that I actually needed. Like, I was just like, this, this will solve so many problems. And so I was trying to sell my wife on some of them and she wasn't buying it. And so we ended up with only a couple of them. And so uh, I thought about actually showing you some of those items, but then I didn't want to tempt you and have you ordering stuff on Amazon while I'm doing a message about debt. Uh, so uh, yeah, just you'll have to look it up for yourself. But part of what messes us up with our money is that in almost area, every area of our life, when we make a bad decision or things get messed up uh, or we get lost, like we talked about last week, we, we know almost immediately if that happens in pretty much every area of our life. We can see it and feel it. It's kind of like, it's, it's kind of known as the law of Pinocchio, that you tell a lie and your nose grows. You make a mistake and you see the immediate results, right? You, you do something in a relationship, you hurt the other person, they're going to let you know about it. You do something at work, you mess up. Like in almost every area of our life, we can see when we're getting off course, when things aren't going well, we get immediate feedback. With our, but with our finances, when we make a bad decision or things are messed up, we know about it eventually. 
We can go for years before we actually feel the effects or see the full extent of choices that we've made a long time ago. So rather than kind of paying attention or, or, or our finances operating to, to, you know, along the law of Pinocchio, they, they operate more along the, li- uh, 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 the lines of, so- of the law of sowing and reaping, where it's like we sow now and we don't really know till later. We don't really know when we're, until we're reaping the rewards or the consequences of those decisions. So a- as Dave Ramsey likes to say, debt is completely normal but normal isn't working. And so let's try something else. Because the truth is, I, I've never ever heard anybody ever say, man, ever since I went into debt, my marriage has been so much better. <laughs> I mean, back before we had payments, we fought all the time, but now that we have payments, we never ever fight because we're just so in love and in debt. I've never heard anyone say, you know, the massively high rate on my credit card has really improved my love life, man. Girls dig my high rates. Nobody's ever said that before. I've never heard a single person say every night before I go to bed, I thank God for my debt. And honestly, my relationship with him is just so much better now that I have just this monster, oversized, oppressive debt that's weighing me down. No, debt is a lie, right? Debt is, it's oppressive. It, it completely drowns us and weighs us down. It stresses out our lives and, and our relationships because we all know people and many of us have said things like, I, I wish one of us could stay home with the kids, but that's really not even close to being an option right now. Or I wish that we didn't have this stress because we're fighting about it all the time, just trying to figure out how we're going to make it through the month. Or I wish we could travel, but that's not really something we can consider. I wish we could go on vacation more and create more memories with our kids, but it's just, it's just not possible. I wish we could help people in need and we could respond to different situations, but we're just not able to do that right now. And why is it like that? For most of us, it's like that because all of our money is spoken for by the debts that we owe. Now, it's not anything new. Debt isn't new. In fact, it's something that even in the Old Testament, going back almost as far as you can go back, the Old Testament writers wrote about and spoke a lot about. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 7, um, uh, the, the writer wrote this, some people who are poor pretend to be rich. And there's another part of that verse, but this is just like the perfect... Like, this is a perfect description. Like, that's what debt is, right? It's me pretending that I have more money than I actually do. It's me pretending that I can afford stuff that I can't afford to impress people I don't actually even care about. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, it says, a person without self-control is like a city whose, wall broken, whose walls are broken down. It, it, it's, it, it's like when, when we lack self-control, it's like a breach in your defenses. Inside the wall is safety and freedom. You can move around freely. But he's saying when you lack self-control, you're vulnerable. You can be overwhelmed and overrun and taken advantage of. And debt is ultimately this evidence of an inability to just delay gratification. Anybody ever seen those videos of kids where they give them the marshmallow test, you know, and they're like, put the marshmallow in front of them. It's like, you can have it and you can eat it right now. But if you, if you don't eat it and you wait five minutes, then when I come back, I'll give you a second marshmallow. And, and like, um, and honestly, it's like torture for the kids and they're sitting there trying to figure it out. And, but, but the truth is, is like, uh, the, like neurologists and scientists and psychologists are actually starting to learn like our ability to learn delayed gratification when we're kids is actually the biggest predictor 
uh, of financial success in life, of being able to have a life that's stable later on. And, and sometimes it's like that with us, right? You walk into somewhere, you're clicking online, and we're just like, oh, why? Why did they come out with those new jeans? Or why did they put that? Why, why do they have to come out with a new iPhone? I um, remember when I bought my iPhone 6, it was, uh, it was a beautiful day. And I got home, and I went to church the next day, and that was the first, that was the first generation where they came out with the pluses that were the extra, like, large screen, and a buddy of mine had a plus, and I was like, I hate my life. What? <laughs> I made a mistake. I need a new phone. See, generally speaking, people break down into two categories. There's the spenders and the savers. Where, how, many, how many savers are in the house? Any savers in the house? How many spenders in the house? Woo, yeah. Uh, yes, I, I'm a spender. Uh, I, I think in general, spenders tend to be a little bit more enthusiastic about spending than savers are about saving. But uh, now, hopefully, if you're a spender, you're married to a saver so that you can balance each other out. I mean, you put two savers together and they'll get along great. Uh, they won't be any fun. There'll be no excitement in their life. Uh, but they'll have, they'll have plenty of money stock, socked away for a rainy day. Uh, and if you're both spenders, man, God help you both. Like, uh, you're going to have a lot of fun, but you're going to be broke as a joke. Like, you're going to have no money. You probably got tons of debt. Uh, but I've also noticed that when it comes to money and self-control, like men and women have different issues. And it's not universal, but in general for many women, and, and this is, you know, I know I'm painting with a broad brush, so don't, you know, give me unsolicited feedback after the message. Uh, but, but in general, you know, like for many women, the spending is going to be like death by a thousand cuts, right? It's the whole spending money to save money routine. I save $25 by spending 100 or whatever. It's the little stuff here and there. It's the nickel and dime and nickel and dime and nickel and dime. And, and, and if women sink the ship, it's usually going to be a, a thousand little expenses. And again, it's not universal. It's general because some of you are like, no, I can spend big money too. Like, I'm not judging you. If you can spend big money, we know you got it. Uh, but in general, it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. And guys, we're not like that at all. Guys will just blow the ship out of the water in one fell swoop, right? Like, guess who bought a big screen? And your wife's like, I mean, our TV worked fine. And you're just like, yeah, but this one was like an 85-inch 4K ultra high def LED. Woo! And the best part is it wouldn't fit in the car, so I bought a truck to bring it home. Because I deserve it. Have you ever, like, spent... <laughs> Stupid amounts of money on dumb things because you deserved it. I des guys, I deserve this. I really deserve this right now. Um, yeah, I totally. I've never done that. I don't know why I'm going down that hole. I, I felt like a confession all of a sudden. I felt like I was the only one. But when we don't get what we want fast enough, we end up oftentimes going in debt to get it. But it didn't used to be that way. When I was a kid, um, people use layaway. Anybody remember layaway? Yeah, layaway was like, hey, hold this for me because I want to get it, but I don't have the money, so I'm going to make payments to you until it's paid off, and then I'll come get it, right? And the cool thing about layaway was that when you made your last payment, the thing that you bought was brand new, and you got to bring it home. And our system of debt, by the time you make your last payment on that thing, you don't even know where it is, right? Like it's in the garage, or you gave it away, or you sold it on eBay, it's gone, you ate it, you know, it's, something. It's, it's nowhere to be found. And you've been paying on it for years, and it's just gone. 
And, and here's the problem. Like our self-control in the moment often determines who gets control of our future. That's why in Proverbs, he said, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. So yeah, debt, debt isn't a new thing. But when you read the scriptures, God never says anything good about debt. In fact, he says just the opposite. He uses words like slave and fool and curse when he's talking about debt. Why? Because he wants us to live in joy and freedom and contentment. See, because God actually never intended for us to live our lives in a place where we live beyond our means. In fact, in Deuteronomy, going way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12, God is kind of laying out these ground rules for his people. And there were some very specific things about how they lived individually, but then he was talking to them as a people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12, God's talking to his people. He says this, the Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do and you will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from anyone. And so uh, when, when he's speaking to them, he kind of starts with this idea that we talked about last week, right? That everything belongs to God. Everything comes from him, that God's going to send blessing. He's going to send rain from all of the riches that he has stored up for us in heaven. But we also see that very, from the very beginning, God's intention for his people, God's intention for your life and for my life is that we would actually never live our life from a place of debt. Where like, we would actually live our lives where debt has little to no place at all in any of our lives. Now, just to be clear, this is not a salvation thing. It's not a forgiveness thing. It doesn't affect his love for us in any way. God's crazy about you, but he also wants to save you from a trap. Now, there's a lot of conversation around like, well, can't debt be used as a tool and isn't it good? And what about home loans? And you know, like, but in general, like if we just could kind of agree about 90% of it, like we could all begin to move forward in a really healthy way. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, it says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. And if you have listened to Dave Ramsey or gone through Financial Peace University at all, you have heard that verse a gazillion times, right? And when you think about it, it it's pretty intense and actually kind of abrasive to compare debt to slavery unless you're a people who have a history of slavery, which is exactly what the story of the people of Israel is rooted in. A journey from slavery and oppression to freedom and flourishing. Now, when they were in slavery in Egypt, the people, the, the Egyptians who enslaved them, whenever the, the, the nation of Israel began to get stronger and multiply and there were more numbers and they began get, you know, to, 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 to grow and you know, the, the Egyptians were afraid of them, so they kept changing the rules on them. They kept changing the quotas. They kept uh, withholding, they started withholding different uh, materials that they needed to do the job that they were required to do as slaves. Now, when you read the story, the people of Israel, they weren't sitting around going, you know what we need? It's just a better system of slavery. We just need to figure out like a more advantageous way for us to be slaves. And, and yet that's oftentimes where we get stuck in the conversation when it comes to debt. But you can just sort of drift into debt. The problem is that you can't drift out of it. The gravitational pull is too great. See, we drift into debt, but we have to actually dig and claw and fight our way out of it. We fall into debt, but we have to fight to get out of it. It's amazing how quick you can get into debt. You can just be like, and boom, now you have a massive debt. 
And now you have hours and hours and fights and going to work and working overtime and managing and denying and scrimping and saving and figuring out and all the mental energy. It's amazing that we allow ourselves to be subject to that. And so God actually had a different idea, a different intention in mind for his people to avoid that struggle altogether. And he does for you and I too. Because he wants more for us. See, God has always intended for his people, for you and me, to actually be a blessing to the world around us. Going all the way back to Abraham, God told Abraham, I will bless you so that you can bless others. I will make you a blessing and the whole world will be blessed because of you. Now, that's really hard to do when you're suffocating underneath debt. Like, like have you ever been moved by a story and your heart and your conscience say, give, give, give. Then you look at your finances and Visa says, pay, pay, pay. And guess who wins? Visa wins. And you see why God calls it slavery? Because debt wins every time. It has complete control, not of your desire, not of your willingness to be good, to be a blessing, but of your ability to be who God created you to be. See, when we actually get, when we use debt to get what we want right now, it almost always prevents us from being who we want to be later. So what do we do? How do we break out of this prison? What's the process of breaking free from financial slavery? In Proverbs chapter six, verse one, it says this, says, my child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, follow my advice and save yourself for you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride, go and beg to have your name erased. Now don't put it off, do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones learn from their ways and become wise now if you've been through financial peace university you know all these verses you know you've seen the video of the gazelle running away from the cougar you know or the the uh, lion or whatever on the savannah and he escapes right but he he says if you're going to get out of debt you got to run like a gazelle you got to be willing to fight like a bird who's fighting for its life to get out of the net of the fowler and you have to be willing to work like an ant and the picture it, it, the picture he's painting is that like th- this trap these jaws that are kind of closing around you to trap you and like it looks good on the outside but what you can't see and what you don't know is that it's going to end up costing you more than you'd ever be willing to pay And he's going, avoid it like your life and your freedom depends on it because they do. And the core of what he's saying is like, it's that it's better to live simply than to lose your freedom. I heard somebody say one time that I want is way better than I owe way better to want something, be saving for it, working towards it, than it is to owe for it. It's way better to live simply than to give up freedom. So we got to find a a different system because the current system is oppressive and it doesn't work. Getting out of debt isn't really about money, it's just about behavior. 
That's why we read the scripture about self-control. Because getting into debt, as we talked about a second ago, happens in a moment, but getting out of it is a journey. It's a long process. It's systems and behavior and choices. There's no shortcuts. There's no silver bullets. You just got to do the work. You got to make the decisions. You got to fight and dig and claw and run like a gazelle and fight for your life like a bird trapped in a cage. You got to do the work of an ant. You got to work to get out from underneath that weight. So what, what kind of new system can you adopt to break free from the slavery of debt? The first thing I would say is this. Uh, I'm going to give you some really basic stuff. It's stuff you already know. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't been through Financial Peace University, you should, that should be the first thing that you do. Just go, go to do Financial Peace University. We're actually going to offer it in the fall as a small group. And so if you've never been through it, I encourage you to do that. Um, it's not our material. It's all put on. Uh, it's all stuff that from, comes from Dave Ramsey's organization. Um, but I, I've found with money stuff, it's a lot like, like health and nutrition stuff. Uh, people, I, I've had so many conversations with, uh, with people who um, try to, uh, in the conversation, they assume that the reason I'm overweight is because I don't know how nutrition works. Um, and so they're like, you know, if you just ate this kind of, like a few less calories, if you just laid off the talk, I'm like, yeah, it's delicious. That's the problem, okay? Just leave me alone. Um, and so I know that money stuff, it's like you can, you can Google something and come up with all the most brilliant answers to all this stuff like in a split second. So it's about behavior. It's about choices. But I, I wanted to give you kind of a few practical things that you can do. The first three of them kind of come together. They come straight out of uh, uh, Financial Peace University. Um, and it's worded differently, but this is just the, this is the Randy Sherwood version. Uh, but number one, it's just decide to cut spending and quit borrowing. Like you, you gotta just make the decision, all right, we are not going to borrow any more money, period. We're not gonna finance another car. We're not gonna, you know, not gonna go into debt to get this thing. Uh, set the house to the side for a second. You know, don't include that in the conversation, but d don't be like borrowing money out of your house to go buy other stuff. And totally, anyway, decide just to cut spending to quit borrowing. Number two, commit to sacrifice in the short term. This is kind of that work like an ant, you lazy bones <laughs> proverb that we read, right? Like sell some stuff that you don't need. Get a part-time job. If you don't have $1,000 as an emergency fund, like that's a priority. Do that. Um, number three, start a debt snowball. If you don't know what that is, it's super easy. Just Google it, like how to do it, why to do it. I would suggest doing it the Dave Ramsey way. Um, that is the way that like we finally, it, our snowball was really little for a long time. We just kept rolling it, rolling it. Finally got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I... Honestly, for the first time since I can remember as an adult, can stand and say, outside of our house, the mortgage on our house, we have zero, zero debt right now. And it was a long, hard battle. Don't applaud me. You should applaud my wife because <laughs> she was like, mm, mm, and I was like, but there's this other thing that I want to get. Number four, change the story at home. Um, earlier, we read the verse from Proverbs uh, 22 about debt being slavery, that the borrower is slave, borrower is slave, slave to the lender. But the, the verse right before it 
you probably know this verse as well, but we don't ever talk about it in terms of finance, you know, fi- uh, personal finance. So the, the verse right before the verse that says, the borrower is slave to the lender, that verse says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they, were, when they are older, they will not leave it. And, and a part of what he's talking about is teaching your kids how to handle money and stay away from debt. I actually like how, I love how it's worded in the message translation. It says this, it says, if you point your kids in the right direction when they're old, they won't be lost. He's saying, he's saying what you already know, that you're an example to your kids and the way you're living your life, what you're teaching them is going to be how they live. The choices that you make will either teach them what it means to live in slavery or to what it means to embrace financial freedom. Now, finally, and this has kind of been the theme for this whole series, is that, of course, there's a, a spiritual reality to all of this. And that was the first thing that we talked about two weeks ago, is that money, we don't want to believe that it is, but it's incredibly spiritual. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you stop and think about it, you invite God in on everything you can invite him in on, right? Like if your car breaks down or your kid is sick or you lost the job or it's not going well or your relationships are messed up or broken, you just go down the list. Like you, I'm gonna pray about this, please pray with me. You invite God into all of those places in your life and you should because he's a loving father. He's a heavenly father and he wants to help you because he is for you. Why wouldn't you lean into him when you need help? But why wouldn't you lean as heavily on what he says about money and possessions as debt as you do anything else that he says? And so let me encourage you, trust God with your marriage. Trust him with your health. Trust him with your job and your singleness and your kids and your opportunities and your retirement and your eternity. And trust him when it comes to your money. It just, it just makes sense. It is the path that my family and I have chosen, and it's taken you know, lots and twists and turns. And, and we don't do it perfectly. We make mistakes. I have fits of spending and lose self-control all the time. Uh, but we have been able to scratch and claw our way out and working towards now like figuring out the most exciting conversation I have ever had with my wife about money was one we had this week looking at how quickly now we can start to pay off our house. Which that that was like not even in the realm of possibility. We've pointed our, our family, our life in that direction and it's taken us a long time but we've never regretted it. We're down that road trying to teach our kids to not not give themselves into the debt and slavery that we did. Invite God into your finances. Watch how your life begins to change. Give him your whole life. See, oftentimes when we come to God, we kind of bring, we think of it in just like bringing all of our baggage and our relationships and just sort of the whole of ourselves. And God has a tendency to kind of sift through all the pieces of our life to know exactly the one that we're probably holding back on him and go, yeah, 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 I want, I want that one. Trust me with that one. We're like, I mean, I gave you the rest, God. This is one of those conversations. If you can begin that journey of opening your life and say, God, I give you my life, my financial life, my relational life, my married life, my family life, my work life, 
all the parts of my life. I give it all to you. You will never, ever regret it. Let's pray together.